0: Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning and welcome to worship. I hope you got a bulletin as you came in. Uh, They are out there on the foyer. If you didn't get one, uh, please feel free. We're we're not going to get upset if you stand up and go get one or ask someone to help you find one. Uh, All the readings and everything are in there so that you can be a part of the liturgy. Other than that, uh, let me welcome you. And if you haven't filled out a visitor card before, we ask that you fill out the blue card if you're willing Uh, You can place it in the offering box as you leave, or there's a visitor card out in the foyer. Um, That'll give us a chance to have a record of your visit and a way to minister to you more effectively if you need that. And then last, let me just say this. I we don't shock everybody. We changed the pews back. We are slowly moving back. In the foyer, there are still chairs in the foyer. And one reason we did that is if you need to go to the foyer... Now you can move those chairs. Nobody wanted to pick a pew up and move it so they could see. Uh, And so they just sat on the side. But if you need to be in the foyer, those chairs are designed that you don't have to sit by the window and just stare at a wall. Just turn them and you can actually look through the glass and be a part of the service as well. So uh, if you need to go to the nursery, it's there. But if you just need to sit in the foyer and have some time as well, those chairs are designed for you to move around and make them feasible So that you can be a part of the service as well. Mm -hmm. Other than that, let me uh, lead us to the Lord in prayer. And before I do, I'd like to read the silent meditation uh, that comes from 1 Timothy. Let's prepare our hearts before I open us in prayer. And then if you would join me in the Lord's prayer together. Timothy writes, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we are able to come and to worship and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's our prayer, Lord, that we become more godlike, that we be like your son, Jesus, and that we can be a light and an influence in society, that we can let the picture of your church, your body, how it's knit together and works together. Be a picture of how everything should operate in whatever sphere that we're put, that it can be a godly influence for your kingdom. Lord, I pray here this morning that as we worship and we open our hearts and our minds, that Lord, your Holy Spirit would fill us uh, in a way of compassion and care, that we would leave this place today, setting aside all the worldly events and occupations and the things that are troubling our heart and mind. And Lord, give us a few moments to enjoy the kingdom on earth, that we might enjoy that heavenly sanctuary with the saints that have gone on before us here on earth. Lord, I know we don't deserve it. We've not earned it. We constantly find ourselves the throne of grace on our knees, praying as you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, Let me call us to worship this morning. And as we go through, you're welcome to follow the hymns if they're in the hymn book and sing parts along with it or follow along as we go. But let me call us from Psalm 100 Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him bless his name for the lord is good his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations.
1: you want to turn over to the next page we will be uh, reciting together the uh, question and answer from the shorter catechism 65 and 66 so let me read the question and then let's respond together What is forbidden in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment forbiddeth the neglecting of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongeth to everyone in their several places and relations. What is the reason annexed to the fifth commandment? The reason annexed to the fifth commandment is a promise of long life and prosperity as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good, to all such as keep this commandment. Remember, the fifth commandment is to honor your father and mother. And as we come to the Lord adoring him, we also admit that we are sinners in need of God's grace. So let's pray this prayer together. O God, you have shown us the way of life through your Son, Jesus Christ. We confess with shame our slowness to learn of him, our failure to follow him, and our reluctance to bear the cross. Have mercy on us, Lord, and forgive us. We confess the poverty of our worship, our neglect of fellowship and of the means of grace, our hesitating witness for Christ, our evasion of responsibilities in our service, our imperfect stewardship of your gifts. Have mercy on us, Lord, and forgive us. Amen. And the Lord knows all of our sins and many more, and we confess them to him. But this is the word, the promise that you can't get anywhere else. God in his word tells us from Romans 8, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Being a Christian is casting away all hope in yourself and casting all of your hope completely on Jesus, his sufficiency, his love, God's power to work in you and in me. So if you are in Christ, if you're looking to Jesus, be assured that your sins are forgiven and that he's working in your life today and every day.
0: I hope that you brought your Bibles with you this morning so that you could follow along as we continue our journey through 1 John. And what a blessing it's been. I know in my own journey of studying and working together of what it is that John has for us and a reminder that he is completely writing for assurance. And if you're struggling in some way with assurance, 1 John has a way of putting it on the spot. We've learned that there are tests that we can go through to make sure we belong to him. We learned that there was the test of righteousness or obedience, that if we truly belong to the Lord, then we would obey his commands very difficult for us to say that we belong to the Lord and not follow the scriptures. We live in a time where many people are challenging the validity of the scriptures. And I think one of the main reasons for that is if we can say that God's words aren't applicable, then we don't have to obey. We can be free to live the way we wanna live and still claim to be a child of God. The second test that he gave us was the test of love. And he said that there's no way that you can claim to say you love God and not love your neighbor. We live in a world today where love itself is taking on a whole new meaning. It's more of an infatuation with something. We use the word whether we love hot rods or whether we love food, we love things. And that love changes. That love's affected so many homes. Children, careers, because if we have a misunderstanding of it, we honestly believe that we can actually love God and not love one another. And here this morning, I'm skipping a little section of scripture. I promise I'll go back. I was teasing the staff as they were getting things ready. I'm going to go back to the passage on do not love the world because I want to take this topic along with the other two because it goes with what John is teaching us Not just the test of righteousness or the test of the love and the social test, but the doctrinal test. It's here, beginning in verse 18, that John says, There's one more test I've got to tell you about if you're going to claim to be a child of God. It's the test of truth. It's the test of what you believe. It's the test of what you hold up as being the standard of who Jesus is. You see, there is something about serving God that clear back even in the Old Testament when Moses wrote us, he said it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is a part of our love that deals with the mind and truth. That deals with repentance of what we confess. You must know what it is you believe in if you're going to tell somebody what you believe. You must understand why. And so John writes in verse 18 of chapter 2 what it means to live the truth. We've been studying the importance of authentic Christianity or whether we're living a lie. This morning I challenge you, are you living the truth or living a lie? Here's what he says, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. And so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you haven't been, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have. Knowledge. I like the rendering there according to the Greek. If you have an older translation of the King, De- King James and some have said you have all knowledge. They have translated the locative, instrumental or dative case in the wrong side. The English standard and the New American, those put it back. It's not claiming that you have knowledge of everything, but it's claiming that all of you who are Christians have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth. ...but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Put the word Messiah in there for the word Christ. The anointed, that's the word Christum for the word anointed. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father... But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that any should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, is no lie. Just as it has taught you, abide in him. It's a lengthy section, I know, but there's so many things there that we need to parse out here real quick so that we understand that we're only on one third of the test. You see, the whole test of whether or not we're in Christ was whether or not we're obeying him, whether or not we're loving like him, and whether or not we even believe in him correctly. It's an amazing thing to say you believe in something that you don't really know or, or be known by. I've used the analogy many times before, going back to Billy Graham. I don't know if you remember Billy Graham and the difference he's made all over the world, but I remember someone asking one time about their knowledge Of how close they were to Billy Graham. And he said, How many of you know Billy Graham? And man, everybody wanted to raise their hand. Who doesn't know Billy Graham? Shake your head if you don't know Billy Graham, right? And he said, No, my my true question is this If you were in the room with Billy Graham, does he know you? You see, we use the term knowledge sometimes as when we know somebody. What we really mean is this we know of Billy Graham, and we know about Billy Graham. And we know the things that Billy Graham does. The most important thing that would prove whether or not our relationship is real is if Billy Graham walked in and came over to shake your hand and you could say, man, it's so good to know you. How many of you say, I know Jesus Christ? You can either say to yourself, I know about him, You could say to yourself, I know the things that he's done. I know what everybody says about him. But if Jesus were to come here, would he come sit by you? Does he really know you? And so all of a sudden we get in this relationship here that says this. How do we know we're living a lie? Write these down. I'll let you have them. There's several things here. Let me begin with this. Those who are living a lie are dividing the truth of God's word. Write that down. They're dividing. I'm going to do it in the first verses here. It's the last hour. Please understand from the parousia, the end of time, if you wish, or to Pentecost when the Spirit comes. It's the phrase of the last hour. John is actually writing from the time in which Jesus came to bring in this last hour to the time in which he comes again. It's the last hour. He's not talking about the moment in time that it's going to happen today or we've all missed it. The last hour is that reference to the time and the last ways in which the Holy Spirit leads us. The reason we don't need any more scriptures, the reason we're not looking for any more lost books, the reasons we're not looking for an expanded scripture is because we truly believe we have what it is God's intended for us, and the Holy Spirit is what bears evidence to that. I want you to think about this question. It's very tricky. There's been the research from so many that says, well, you know, Paul wrote first Thessalonians and second Thessalonians, but perhaps there was a middle Thessalonians or one that came after the second Thessalonians. And we don't really have those letters, but that's where those folks, I want you to catch the truth of what's really being said. You live in a generation that has taught you to say this, you know, maybe there's parts of the Bible God intended us to have that we don't have. And if we don't have those, then how complete is what we have that God's given us? You see, you've got to be careful you don't fall into the trap of scholarly thinking sometimes or in the logical way of laying things out in our own human understanding. Because if you're not careful, the world puts you in a trap where all of a sudden they can honestly say, well, look, you've admitted your Bible's not even complete. It's not what it is that God had for you. There are still pieces that we're waiting to find. Folks, the amazing thing that we have here is that the Holy Spirit from the time of Pentecost now indwells our hearts and bears testimonies to the truth that we are the children of God. You can rest assured that those who are living a lie and trying to divide things out are not going to win. Maybe you're living a lie because you too are being caught up in the division. Dividing us between what science can prove and what the Bible can prove. Those aren't biblical terms. Those are societal terms. We don't have to wrestle with science. Christians aren't against science. Christians aren't the people who are trying to prove that science is wrong. We believe that science is under the hand of God. We believe science is the work of God. And we believe that science uncovers the truth of God. We're not afraid of science. What we disagree with is when science tries to interpret things they don't have the answers to. When we have the one who was there in the beginning when it happened. Do you believe your Bible? Then you should believe it happened the way God said it happened. You see, that's the determining factor of what is truth. If truth can only be determined because God said it and science proves it, then we're in trouble. You see, all of a sudden when John's writing about this last hour, this time in which is important because those who have seceded from them and pulled out were the ones trying to teach them a different knowledge than what they had already received. And he said, folks, it's not just that the last hour is here, but many antichrists have come. Write this down. Put it in your notes in your mind. The word antichrist is no different than the word opposite, the word anti in Greek, or if you wish to say instead of or opposite of. Those are all the translations of anti. In this case, I would prefer the term, when you say antichrist, we're not looking at everybody that's against Christ. We're looking at everything that is instead of Christ. The antichrist is instead of Christ. And what we mean by that is you're willing to follow everything else instead of Christ. That's why many antichrists have come. He's not saying that the end of time has happened multiple times and that the main antichrist has come and we're going to have to go through another whole section. What he's saying is that there has been throughout history many people who offer things instead of Christ. We live in a world today where people have answers for our problems and they turn us to everything instead of Christ. We find our answers in everything instead of Christ. That's the Antichrist that he's talking about, not the man of lawlessness at the end of the ages. How do you know you're living a lie? It's because you're caught up in dividing the people of God. They know it's the last hour and they want to divide us. What are they going to divide us over? Look at verse 25. It's the promise of eternal The key to living a lie or living the truth, only one ends in eternal life. And if you're living a lie, you want to divide that out and you want to get to the point where you can now divide people on sides and say we can both get there our own way. God will work it out in the end. You choose what's best for you. I'll choose what's best for me. We can both believe in God. We can vary on Jesus Christ. The Spirit doesn't really matter. Church is optional. Bible reading is a pastime. What matters is that in the end, we'll all receive what? Eternal life. John says you're living a lie. You're living a lie. They want to divide it up and say that there's more ways to eternal life than just jesus christ if you're here this morning and you're living in a sphere that has influenced you that jesus is only one way you're living a lie you may not realize it but you're living a lie because jesus is not one way he's what the only That's what he begins to write us. They're dividing us out, the Antichrist, everything that is instead of Christ. You're living a lie. You're living a lie. Number two, it's not just those who are dividing things out that are living a lie. It's also those who are departing from the truth. So not only are they dividing it up, but they're departing from us. That's what it says in verse 19. They went out from us because they were not really what? us Folks, catch this. I don't know if you've brought this into reality yet. Put in your mind or write in the margins of your Bible proof of the visible, invisible church. That's the importance of that scripture. You see, if you don't understand what it is that we believe about the visible and the invisible church, it's because we believe there's a visible church, those of us who are here, and we believe in the invisible church, those who are real. That's the doctrines of truth that we believe in here. We believe that just because we have everybody sitting in the pews doesn't mean that we're all wheat. I'm the wheat and you're the tare. Yeah, I'm the one that's the sheep and you're the what? Goats. See, I don't know who it is in the room really, and we don't know that because who's the only one who knows? You and who? The Father. And that is why we're told later on in the passages when they're asked well let us go get them let's find these ones that aren't real let's get rid of them folks can you imagine what would happen if we went ahead and got a county mounty team at grace and said let's go find everybody who's not real and kick them out what kind of ministry would that be do you remember what jesus said to the disciples when they actually thought that these were people chosen by god by christ to serve his kingdom they're supposed to be full of compassion and integrity and honor. They're supposed to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And the moment they found out that there were liars among them, do you remember what they said? Well, do you want us to go get rid of them? He tells us the parable of the wheat and the tares. He said, well, should we not pull out all the tares now? Do you remember what Jesus said? No. No. It's amazing. Let the visible and the invisible church live together. Because if you go try and mess with the visible church to pull out those that aren't part of the invisible church, you're going to mess things up. You just let them grow together, and at the end of time, I'll figure it out. Because I know who belongs to me. But you see in this invisible church, what's amazing about John to me here in verse 19 is that I get depressed when people leave the church. I know as a pastor, it's not my job to to keep everybody and to grow everybody and to minister to everybody and to make every. I know that, but that doesn't stop the burden. That doesn't stop the times that I pray because someone got their feelings hurt and they don't feel like the church cares. And man, that burdens me because I want them back. And there's those that think, well, maybe the teaching's not right, and they misunderstood things, and we haven't been able to clarify, and so they're frustrated about that, and I want to have those back. But I'll be honest with you. There's times when I think the devil himself has come in and yanked some of the wolves out, and those aren't the ones I want to have back. You see, God has a way of weeding through even in today's church. Now, I'm not talking from one denomination to another and from one church to another. But sometimes we have to be careful because there will be those in the church that Satan himself comes and pulls out because that's who they belong to. If you don't believe that, remember when they're gathered around the table, Jesus looks to his one chosen disciple and says, Go and do what your father, the devil, has for you to do. You see, what John is saying is there's those who are pulling out from us, but folks, don't think that that's because they're right and we're wrong. Don't think that because the world is moving in a direction where the church is not important, where the Bible is not used, where God is no longer in the picture, don't think that just because it's moving that direction that they're right and we're wrong. Sometimes God has to weed through the church, if you wish, to keep it as part of its purity and peace. I like how he says it this way, they went out from us because they were not of us to make it plain. God has a way of working through so that his children become evident. You work it out, you stick with it. I like how Revelation says it, those who belong to him will persevere to the end. You can't help it. Do you know why? You're full of the Holy Spirit. You belong to God. You can't deny Him. You can't turn from Him. And you can't divide out separate ways. It's only those who are living a lie that realize or try to divide up how we get to heaven and then depart from the truth to create their own following. Oh, it happens in churches all the time for wrong reasons because we follow men, not God. I'll be honest with you, there are many churches that have grown. We call them firecracker churches in the missions world. It's because in the church growth movement of things, you can do anything you want to make a church grow. I'll never forget Tom and Lynn Ewer when they took over our youth ministry back in the early 90s. It had been led by a man named Ricky Hatchell who did a fabulous job with our youth. Him and his wife Tammy and Tom and Lynn were a part of it and Uh, Multiple families helped lead a youth group that sometimes had 75, 80, I I would say 100 youth sometimes in fifth quarters. It's a wonderful youth group. Came time for pass on, and they went to Tom and Lynn, and they said, Tom, we want you to lead our youth group. And I'll never forget, as a young pastor, first ministry there with Pastor McLean, when Tom sat in front of the board of deacons of the Baptist church, And he said, Lynn and I have prayed about doing it, and we will on one condition. We're not going to do it like it was before. If you expect me to stand up on a table, turn my head around in circles, and breathe fire so that the youth will come and have fun, then we're not the right people. And to this day, that youth group shrunk to half of what it was. But my wife and her brother and their friends and all those that came through are serving as pastors, elders, leaders, followers in the community. They have become wonderful disciples of the Lord, many of them, if not most, in that group that became smaller because they realized where the truth was. You see, we could grow grace as fast as you'd like. Nick could spin his head around and breathe fire. I've seen Nick run on top of the pews, (laughs) dance on top of tables, even playing cards with the youth. You see, we could entertain them and get them to come. And we could reach people by the masses just because it's a fun place to be. But then again, we'll watch more than half of them walk out when they realize they're living a life. John says, you know you're living a lie when you're dividing up how we get eternal life. You're living a lie when you're departing from those that truly belong to the Lord. Enjoy the accountability. God has a way of getting rid of the cancers that we experience today. No one right person who's been diagnosed with cancer would say to the doctor, Doc, look, I'm okay with cancer. Just take out a third of it and I'll be happy. No, we're not going to be happy until the entire cancer is removed. Because until that happens, catch this, we live in fear. Churches that live in fear is because they never know what's going to happen on the Sunday when they come. They never know what the next comment's going to be made. They never know when the next person's going to be upset. They never know who's going to try to persuade the next position. And before long, you have a church that's living in fear, departing from that which they've known. Are you living a lie? Are you finding yourself pulling away from those, the truth, just to be different? Just to have more? Well, then listen to this. It's not only in verse 19 they're departing. Write this down. They're also denying the truth. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Folks, just as one would show the importance of the visible invisible church, here we're learning the importance of the divinity of Jesus Christ. We live in a world today where Jesus is only a human being. Paul's written this. John's written this. Matthew writes about this. The Hebrews writes about this. Folks, we're living in a world that has downplayed that relationship because we don't quite understand it. How many of you are theologically in tune enough to describe the Trinity in its detail and how it works? Now, I agree there's the Father, God the Father, and I believe there's the Son, God the Son, and I believe there's the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. But if you're like me, that's the one question when we get to heaven that we ask as you look at all three of them. You see, there's some things we just can't answer, but we know they're true. We know they work out. But we live in a world today that, again, if you can't explain it and understand it in human terms, we just don't believe it. And so the best thing we can do is deny it, if you wish to say, play it down, and let's not focus on that part. Because we don't want people to not come if they don't understand it. Let's just totally not talk about it. Folks, the entire Western world, faiths, if you wish to say that, are summarized in Christianity, Muslims, if you wish to say Islam. And Judaism or the Jews. Now there's one many don't hear about called Zarathustra, the prophet back when Zoroastrianism existed. And he too believed in the one heaven and good and bad, evil and up and down. You could count that as Zoroastrianism. But those are the only face of the Western world. Everything else is an Eastern philosophy. It's a returning to the oneness and working together. And in every one of the Western faiths, do you know what separates Christianity from every one of them? The Jews do not believe that Jesus is who? The Messiah. Or who? God. Islam, the Muslims, the followers of Muhammad, do not believe that Jesus is who? The Messiah or God. Zarathustra did not understand that, would not support that would take our eternal life based on whether or not we had the right amount of actions and would actually believe that the sword would be extended over the pits of hell. And if you were good, it would lay flat. And if you weren't, it would be on its edge. And you would have to try to cross to that endless place of bliss. Christianity, the only teachings that Jesus is not just the Son of God, Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word, what? Was God. See, to us it's a basic understanding. And if we apply that to our life, we realize that those that were seceding were saying the same thing. Let's not only divide up our ways of getting to eternal life. Let's not only depart from those who want to hold the truth. But let's now deny this fact, if you wish, that Jesus really is God. We can love God without loving Jesus. We can have a God in the heavens who reigns from above. We don't have to have an incarnation. You take away that incarnation. You take away the perfection. You take away the holiness of the one who lived in righteousness. And you also take away every opportunity that you have of being saved. There is no way to be right with the Father except through Jesus Christ. Why is that? Where we're told in John 14. You can go back and look it up. I'll let you reference it. Jesus simply said this. If you've seen me, you've seen what? The Father. He's trying to make it known to them. He's the reference when John writes to the great I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the shepherd that lays down my life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is the play on the words of I am. You know where it comes from. I don't have to bore you with the stories that when Moses went to the burning bush and it spoke to him to redeem his people and set them free, first time in history to reveal himself and to slowly make himself known, Moses simply says, well, who do I tell them sent me? And do you remember what he said? I am. am. That's why they stoned Jesus. That's why they picked up rocks. That's why they mocked him and ridiculed him. Not because he was a Jewish boy who came from a sporadic, who knows, iffy family that was hiding some pregnancy, if you wish. And not because he claimed to have an anointing of the holy. Do you know why they stoned Jesus and wanted him dead? Do you know why they went after him with the swords? Do you know why they wanted to crucify him and put the thorns on him? Do you know why they wanted him dead? Because Jesus claimed to be who? God. That's the world we live in. John says, look at these people that are departing. They're living a lie. Look at these people who are denying the truth. They're living a lie. Look at these people who are dividing up how to get to eternal life. They're living a lie. And maybe this morning, Luke 10, 22, tells us this. No one knows the Father except the Son. And whoever the Son chooses to reveal the Father to. In other words, you can't know the Father unless you know the Son. And you don't know the Son if you don't know the Father. You see, it's amazing how it comes together because as we deny this truth, it leads to the last thing that he tells us. And listen to this. It's not only that they're dividing up the ways to eternal life. It's not only that they're departing from the fellowship of believers of the truth or that they're denying the truth of Jesus Christ, but finally, they're deceiving the people. You see, the problem with living a lie is you're intentionally deceiving people. And you know it. You're not only deceiving others, but you're deceiving yourself. Listen to what it says In verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to what? Deceive you. Folks, do you not see it? Do you not understand that? We say it to our children all the time as they get involved with other people and other relationships and things begin to happen. We sometimes want to do like the old movie of Back to the Future. Hey, McFly, don't you get that? Don't you see what's coming? Don't you see what's happening? Don't you understand? That's what John's begging right now. He's saying, folks, they're deceiving you. Don't you see this coming? Society is moving in a way that is taking us from the truths and the standards of what we believe are absolute. And they're moving us in this gently tone of voice and this gentle situation to where little by little we're sacrificing our truths so that we fit in. Who wants to be a pastor that believes that God created the world in six days? Man, one of our greatest PCA leading pastors who's written multiple, multiple books wrote one time, responded to a Kim hand, and said this about his own fellow pastors. Any pastor that would believe God created in six literal days is foolish. I'll humbly confess to you, I'm foolish. I'm one of those old fashioned, misunderstood, rejected clergy that still believes when God said it, you ought to believe it. Nobody else can go back and prove it different. There's nowhere in the scriptures that bring in outside support of any need of coinciding with any events of any reconciling of history at all within the scriptures. It's only when you try to reconcile with the outside world that you begin to change your standards of truth so you can fit. It may not just be science. It may be economics. The world tells you that if you don't control your money and you're not ahead and you don't live in a certain economic status, then things aren't right. It might not just be economics, it might actually be politics. I'm not sure what side I should pick today. I remember the year my mom told me she was a Southern Democrat and we never lived in the South. (laughs) Talk about confusion multiple years ago. And it may also be that you're being caught up in the teachings not just of science, politics, economics, but of religion. Christianity is not religion. By definition, religion is man's attempt to find God. Christianity does not fit that. Because in Christian truth, we don't believe that man is seeking God. We believe that Romans tells us the truth, that there is no one righteous and no one seeks after God. Our mouths are open graves and we're looking looking for our own destruction. Do you see, Christianity is a relationship. Christianity is about a true God. It's not about men who seek God. Christianity is about a God who what? seeks out his children. Even religion can lead you astray. You've got to make the decision this morning. Are you being deceived? Are you denying the truths? Are you departing from the fellowship of those who believe? Are you being divided over what really matters when it comes to getting to eternal life? If you're living a lie, I have a solution for you. Right here in the text, two things that you need. Mark these down to anybody who's wrestling with whether or not you're an authentic Christian or living a lie. You can go, first of all, to verse 24. Listen to what it says. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. That's the word of God, the gospel. Let that which you have heard abide in you what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and the what? And the Father. If you're wrestling with where you are today, let me just ask this question. Do you abide in Christ? The actual Greek word for abide is the word agairo. It means to raise up. The same word that is used throughout the Testament where we're talking about grapes and the vine branches and those that are being trampled in the wine or the vine dresser comes in and they say, let's just tear it up because it's not making fruit. And the vine dresser says, let me agairo it. Let me raise it up. Let's take the grapes and not let them grow on the ground. Let's let them grow where? On the trousers. He said the same thing about Christians when they're not bearing fruit. You see, the world wants to look at those who are not bearing fruit and say they're departing from the truth. They're denying the truth of Jesus. They're dividing our church. Oh, they've come up with all the answers to where now they're just deceiving us. And isn't it amazing that we have such a compassionate God that would even be willing to put up with an impure church? For a period of time, so that rather than us kicking everybody out because they're not bearing fruit, he would simply say, let me raise them up so that they're no longer trampled on by science, religion, economics, the deceivers. And Let's wait a while and see if they bear fruit. And then, if they depart from us, it's because they were what? Not really of us. You see, he writes, number one, abide in the word and in the son. And then he says this. Look at the next verse of the anointing. You have this anointing. That's the most important part of what he is telling us. Verse 27. You have received it and it abides in you. That's the Holy Spirit. You know the word for anointing, Christmas, is only used twice here in the book of First John. Every other time it's used for Christos, if you wish. It's the same word that's anointing, that Jesus Christ gets his name. That's why I told you to put Messiah in there. It's the same word, Christmas or Christos, that is used for Jesus the Messiah, the anointed. You see, he's Jesus the Christ. It's not his last name. It's the title that goes with it. He's Jesus the anointed. And the same anointing that Jesus received is the same word used to the anointing that you received. So that when Jesus received the Holy Spirit, he's saying it's no different than when you became a Christian and you received the what? The Holy Spirit. Isn't this amazing? The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to do the ministry he was called to do is the same anointing from the same one that's empowered you to do what God's called you to do. You can abide in the Word of God. You have your anointing that is from God. And if you're still struggling, whether or not you're living a lie, just be patient. Ask yourself these questions, and I'll conclude. Are you divided on how to get to heaven? Are you departing? from those that are teaching the gospel only? Are you denying the truth of who Jesus is? And are you being deceived about the importance of bearing fruit? John simply said it this way. I am the vine and you are the branches you abide in me, you will what? Bear much fruit. And so be saved. Authentic Christianity. Obeying his commands. Loving others like Jesus loved. And believing in the truth. Learning to bear the fruit that you were called to bear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you Lord, we live in such a world that we realize we don't have all the answers. You didn't give us every answer in the scriptures. But Lord, we trust you are the one who created all things. You are the one who told us how you did it. Lord, you're the one who sent your Son. He's the one that became incarnate in the womb of a virgin, He's the one that was buried and raised again. He's the one that returned to be with you to reign from on high. Lord, you're the one who came, sent from the Son, his Holy Spirit to indwell us, to strengthen us and enable us. Lord, forgive us then, on our faulty understanding, our limited relational ability of a Trinity. grant us the strength to believe the truth, to not divide it, to not deny it, to not depart from it, and to not be deceived. Help us not to live a lie. We want to be authentic Christians. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you had received the benediction that comes from 2 Corinthians, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, amen. Have a great Lord's day.